Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, can we thank our worship team this morning? Um, I, I love to hear this church sing. This is one of my favorite places on earth to be. This is right here with all of you. Um, and I mean, actually, I actually mean that. Unless Hawaii was an option, and then I'd probably go there. Can I just say something? Uh, Jesus said that he is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Woo! I mean, I feel like somewhere on this earth I could say that. This is the words of Jesus, and it's in the Bible. And the place might erupt. I'm going to do that. I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again. Because I think, you talk about hope. You talk about hope, especially in a day and age when we, we forget what church actually is or who it is, right? Jesus said, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's better. That's better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you with me. Can you imagine if we just all morning? Um, some of you are like, that's so manipulative. No, I just, I think we're actually excited about that. We're actually excited about he who the sun sets free is free indeed. That the reason everything in life could be falling apart and it is well with my soul is because of Jesus. And listen, I'm going to tell you, I haven't got to the notes yet, but there is, there is something a whole lot bigger and better than owning everything you ever wanted to own or have or desire. There's something bigger and better than the greatest success you could experience or the greatest value you could find from other people. And it's a relationship with Jesus that is actually alive and living in your heart and in your life. And speaking not just to you, but everybody who comes in contact with you because it's Jesus and not you. I mean, I mean, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so we are who he says we are. We're children of God, and, and if, you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's your inheritance, and we ought to live way more into our inheritance instead of our junk. We're going to talk about it, and we're going we're gonna to kind of dial in. We're in the last part of the, the series, 42 Seconds. We've actually been going uh, through the book by Carl Medeiros. Carl is a friend of Alpine. Uh, he has had a voice in our journey, um, and he wrote this book, and we thought it would be fun for us as a church that wants to measure more conversations than conversions. Um, it is not our job to convert people to Jesus. It's Jesus' job to convert people to Jesus. We just need to have more meaningful conversations. And by meaningful, I don't mean meaningful to you. I mean meaningful to the person you're having the conversation with. And, and Carl's book, we've been, we've been in this now for for. Three weeks, and, and I got to tell you, well, here's what we're hearing. I, there's a group of guys, I've been walking through this with about four groups of guys, and um, a lot of people here have been reading through this. Let me tell you what I'm hearing back. This is so simple. Well, if you know Carl, then yeah. He just talks about Jesus, and he actually lives this stuff out. But here's the deal we're not just listening to what Carl says, Carl's talking about Jesus. That's all he does. If you know Carl, let's talk about Jesus. And so we've been in this, these sections, be kind, be present, be brave, be Jesus. Today's be Jesus. But the last three weeks, we've been reading through. And I got to tell you, you know what's really simple about this? You know why this is so powerful? I'm going to tell you. Pause for effect. Thanks, Collins. Because this is so destructive. 
And listen, I'm not going to get on your case right now about social media and how much time you spend on the phone and how disconnected you are from reality and people and can't have a face-to-face without getting away and texting them and feeling better about yourself. I'm not going to have that conversation. (laughs) But statistics tell us we are more connected than we have ever been. And we are less connected than we have ever been. And so the power that we're finding in just reading the simple conversations that Carl is calling us to have is that this is actually, this is a journey back to understanding humanity. Getting out of the glowing face into the real face-to-face and learning how to treat people the way Jesus treated people. It's a reintroduction to each other. That's why it's simple. That's why we sit here going, why didn't I say that? Because we're too busy doing this. I mean, I have, the kids have friends over, and they sit in a room together on their phones, talking to each other. I'm convinced. I think we ought to go to Verizon with these books, and we ought to ask them, every time they give out a new phone, give it with this book. Now, listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the choir. I'll stop preaching to myself. And so we talked about what it means to be kind. And I, got, I have to tell you, let me, let me just be really, really honest. I think being kind is the easiest when you're close, walking close with Jesus. Because being kind isn't about me forcing myself to be kind. It's being kind because I understand Jesus' kindness to me. And out of that kindness and his work in my life, I am naturally kind. So I don't work on my kindness, I work on my relationship with Jesus, and I get kinder as I do that. Does that make sense? And so I, f- I feel like I'm fairly kind. I have my moments where I need to lean back into Jesus to discover kindness. Do you know what I'm saying? And when it comes to being brave and, and talking about this, this being brave as loving boldly, um, grace and truth, and that we need to, yes, love people, we also need to be honest, and we need to have those kinds of conversations in our life with the people we love and within relationship. Um, I feel like in in my journey, I've learned a lot about that, and I do that, but I absolutely 100%, sorry mom, suck at present. I just, I I stink at it, if if that's better for you. I'm horrible at being present. Uh, I could blame it on ADHD. I could blame it on all kinds of things. I could blame it on my phone, and I typically do. But I'm horrible at being present. And yet Jesus was kind, Jesus was present, and Jesus was brave. And I have Jesus in me, and, and I want to be those things. Can I, can I give you an example uh, I shared a couple weeks ago with our, with our prayer team uh, of this failure in my life? Because I think sometimes we, if we want to impress people, share our successes. If we want to impact them, share our failures, right? And we all fail. How many of you failed this week? Okay, me too. So there we go. So now we're on the same page. And, and so I'm, I'm in the second week, and I'm reading. What, what we do is we read the section. There's five chapters in each section, so we're in the be present. And I'm, I've read Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday about being present. What does it mean to, to really care and be locked in and present? And, and by Saturday, I've read all of it, and, you know, God, help me be present. And then Sunday morning comes, and Josh is speaking. This was last week. And I'm on my phone and, and just getting ready for the morning, and my daughter walks downstairs. She's 14. And she walks into the room, and I noticed her. I looked up, and I saw her, um, but I didn't see her. And I went back to my dumb phone. I need to get a dumb phone. And I hear this question come from her. 
Dad, do you like my new outfit? And I wanted to take my phone and I wanted to chuck it across the room because I missed a moment to see her and before she had to ask, say, sis, you look awesome. Your outfit looks incredible. You're beautiful inside now because I wasn't present. So what does it, what does it mean to be a people who are kind, who are present, who are brave. And that's what we've been learning. And that's who Jesus is. Matter of fact, I'll say it to you this way. Jesus was the ultimate example in all of this. If you know the Jesus I know, he was kind. Let's just think of the cross for a second. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he went to the cross for us. And it was his kindness that led us to repentance. And his presence on the cross to understand what he was doing for you and me. To see his mother and to see John and say, woman, this is your son and this is your mother. And to see that all that was going on and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The presence of mind not to call 10,000 angels to take him off the cross, but to die in our place. The bravery that that took to stand in the face of all sin for you and me. If that's all you need and if that's all he ever does, he's done enough. But he rose from the dead. And he brought resurrection so that we could have resurrection. And so Jesus was kind and present and brave. And because of that, we have a greater opportunity as followers of Jesus to be kind, present, and brave. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 14 this morning. Um, and I want to read a little bit. If you, if you understand anything about John, John 14, they're in the middle of the Last Supper. He's with his disciples. It's the night before he is about to be betrayed. And chapter 14 is preceded by 13. Isn't that good? I had to go to college to figure that out. Thank you. In chapter 13, he's just washed the disciples' feet, a little less than servanthood. He's let Judas know he's about to betray him. Peter pipes up, so he lets Peter know he's about to deny him. And he finds himself at the beginning of the chapter. Now listen to me. Of chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Are you kidding me? He's facing a cross. He has a lot of reason to think about himself. And who is he thinking about? These men. These people. Us right here. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, believe, believe in God, believe also in me. For in my house is, is many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place. This is all in chapter 14. And you know where I'm going, and Thomas, crazy touting Thomas, he goes, well, how do we know where you're going? Right? And so we, we pick up in chapter 14. I'm going to invite you to stand with me because this is probably the, this is the most important thing we will do today is read God's word. And we live in a culture that doesn't honor and respect it enough. And I'm telling you, it gives life, and it is light, and it shows us the way to go. And so starting in, in verse 6, Thomas has just said, how do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, <laughs> see, I, 
I would ask, do you, do you, do you, because Philip didn't, and Philip's in with him. And so here's Philip's question. I love this. Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. <laughs> Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? I mean, don't you remember way back when I asked you who I was, and Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I said, Peter, you're right, only God could have showed you that, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's like, yes, and then Peter says, you won't die, and Jesus calls him Satan. How can you forget that moment, Philip? <laughs> right? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father in, is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. And then these three verses pack a punch. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, you need to understand when Jesus said even greater works, Jesus touched some thousand when he was on earth. But when he left, he empowered us to be his witnesses. He said, you are my ambassadors. And there are over 2 billion people in the world that claim Christ. Greater things. We're sitting here today because greater things are being done than when he was able to do while he was here because of his spirit. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now some of you are going, I've tried this and it doesn't work. That's because it wasn't in his name, it was in your name. It's a substitute for your will versus his will. Ask it in his will like Jesus did, not my will, God, but yours be done. And Jesus goes, I will answer that. If you love me, Jesus said, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. That's awesome. And doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will live. You also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. God, in this moment, I pray that you would awaken in us our hearts, the reality of where we stand, the desires that are there, for you or not, and that, God, we could admit today that we want you, and we long for you, and we need you. So, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Just so you know, if, we, if I could point something out, I'd go to verse 15 of this wonderful passage. Jesus is basically saying, I'm sending you to do a hard task. Don't you love when somebody sends you to do a hard task? Don't you love it even more when you're sent to do a hard task you don't know how to do? Anybody, there's insecurities, there's fear of failure, there's all those things. But listen, here's what else he says. And I want you to hear this on the outset. But I am going to send someone, Jesus says, who will guide you in what to do and enable you to do it. So here's the deal. The risk of failure just went way down. Do it on your own, failure. 
Let the Holy Spirit enable you. Success. In one, you get the glory for your failure. In the other, God gets the glory for your success. Seems perfect. And that's what's happening here. So we're in this section, Be Jesus. <laughs> Growing up, I don't know if you any would, would remember this name. It's, it's an older name. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Few of you, right? Best basketball player of all time, no matter what anybody says. Some of you are like, I don't care. Those of you are like, well, we could argue that. That's fine. Um, LeBron doesn't have a song. Michael has a song. You guys remember what the song was? Yeah, I want to be like Mike. Do you remember the words? I got them right here. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see. That's how I dream to be. Is that good? I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. Oh, I want to be like Mike. I remember watching the dream team at the Olympics walking down the hallway while Charles Barkley is singing to Michael Jordan. Sometimes I dream. <laughs> Sarcastically. And Jordan's just like. But there was a song. And everybody wanted to be like Mike. And there were t-shirts. But there is nobody like Mike. There may be better. There may be worse. But he is an original. So unless you get the spirit of Mike. There's no chance. We'll come back to that. John chapter 20. We rush ahead six verses in John. Jesus has died, risen from the dead. The disciples are freaked out, sitting in the upper room where the Last Supper took place. The doors are locked. They're all being quiet because they're waiting to hear the soldiers come to get them and the knocking on the door, the tapping of the feet. I don't know what they think they're going to do in that moment, but everybody's quiet, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears among them. Isn't that awesome? I love Jesus. I mean, this guy just, boom, hey, guys. You, can you imagine him just kind of just like, what are we doing? And they're like, yeah, you know, and, and here he is. And Thomas has been talking, and Jesus is like, hey, Thomas, if you want to. And he's like, no, that's fine. I told you, you showed up right here, and I'm good. And Jesus says to them in verse 20, peace be with you. He needed to say that. They were in fear. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, the same intensity, the same calling, the same mission as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And I think a lot of times the church world stops right there and think that in our power we can go accomplish that task. The problem is we're not offering them the right Jesus. We're offering a Jesus of our making. We're offering an idea. We're offering a religion in our strength and our power because we forget to read on. We think we can be Jesus. And if you read on, it says, then Jesus breathed his life into them. Breathe the Holy Spirit into them. Oh, he knew what they needed. Remember the one who will enable you to do it? What is not being said, and I want you to get this, when I say be Jesus, what is not being said, Carl's not saying it in his book, the scriptures aren't saying it, is for you to go be Jesus to people. That's not what's being said. You can't be Jesus to people. I got some of you right on the edge of your seat right now because you've been told all your life, be Jesus. 
None of you can be Jesus to people. Only Jesus can be Jesus to people. No wonder. You, you wonder why you can ask 10 different people what a Christian is and get 10 different answers. Because we've claimed to be like Christ in our strength. And the only way that Jesus can be Jesus to people through you is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. Jesus is the best representation of Jesus. I mean, sometimes we nail it, don't we? Exactly what Jesus would be like if he was here. But a lot of times we don't. We aren't experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because we're too often leading people to do what we can do without him. We lead people to do what only Jesus can do and stop telling ourselves that we're supposed to be Jesus. Now, let me put it in a phrase that we get to wrestle with the rest of the morning and the rest of the week. Here it is. You ready? I worked really hard on this. I studied. I labored. Here it is. You can't be Jesus without Jesus. You actually can't be Jesus without Jesus, not Christian Jesus, not Bobblehead Jesus, not the Jesus we tack on to make life comfortable and make sure we get to heaven. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord of all, the King of kings, the one who reigns over the kingdom, that is advancing and that is growing, who will build a new heaven and a new earth and put all things right. Jesus. You can't be Jesus without Jesus. So, be Jesus in this section of the book is a different challenge than be kind, be present, and be brave. And I need you to understand that. It's not, not related to what we do in relationship with others, but rather what you do in relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what this, this is about. That's what this is about this morning. I'll put it this way. Not towards others in conversation like be kind, be brave, be, be present, but towards Jesus himself. It's not about this kind of relationship as much as it's about this kind of a relationship. Getting to know, not just about, but intimately, Jesus. It's God's purpose for us. You know God has a purpose for you? We know the promise because it says, that's how the verse starts, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 gives God's intent from the beginning of time, and here it is. You ready? For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. What did he choose them to become? Like his son. From the beginning of time, God had a plan that we would become like Jesus. Right? That is, looking back, we see God's intention. Now looking into the present, the present transformation of us by the Holy Spirit comes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's this thing God is doing in us through the power of the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. And then what is the goal? 
We've looked back. We understand now. What is the goal? 1 John 3, 2, the future that we will be with and like Jesus. Dear friends, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. God's purpose and plan is to make us like Jesus. Be Jesus. As your ways become his ways, his very life will flow out of yours to others. As your ways become his ways, his very life will flow out of your life to others. 1 John 2, 6 tells us that. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So do you think we need to know how Jesus lived his life to live our lives as he did? I could spend some time there, but I went a little over and I want to I get to where I think we need to respond. See, Jesus Christ's life will be in us only as we seek to make his way of life our way of life, to walk as he walked and to live as he lived. In Galatians 2.20 gives this description that I would love us all to memorize. Some of you may have it memorized, but here's what it says. My old self has been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of humanity, meaning for those of us who make a decision to follow him, then we died on the cross too. And we were put in the grave with Jesus. And the old man is buried and the new man is coming to life. And so we have this newness of life in Christ because the old man was dead. That's what baptism is. It's celebrating that we are dead to ourself, to the flesh, and we are alive in Jesus because of Jesus. And so it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Whew, that's good news. But Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me and then gave me the Spirit to teach me how to live, not die, because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, we're gonna, we're, there's a shift here coming, and I hope we get it this morning. As followers of Jesus, Christ lives in us. Does that mean he begins to live our lives for us? No. You want somebody living your life for you? How does that go? It's usually very destructive. Does that mean he begins making our choices for us? Like all of a sudden, God, you're a puppet and God's... No. How does God and Jesus live in us? He lives in us through the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper, an advocate, someone who will walk with you, someone who will enable you to do what I've asked. And yet the Bible says we have a form of godliness and deny its power. We have a religion without a Jesus. We have a life in Christ without the Holy Spirit cut loose. We see it in John 20, 21 through 22. So therefore, the degree to which God and Jesus dwell in us, the degree to which he comes alive and we are being made like him, depends on the degree to which we follow the leading of God's Spirit and use the Spirit's power to actually become like Jesus in his nature, in his character, in his spirit, in his attitude, in his love, in his approach. I'm yelling at you. Aren't you excited? <laughs> Sorry. The more we use the Holy Spirit to become like Christ, the more his life will be in us. Thus, the more he lives in us and works through us. But that process is under our will and control, not his. And God wants us to choose to live as Jesus lived by our free choice. You don't want somebody forced to love you. Neither does God. 
He gets excited when you choose to look his way. God wants us to choose to live as Jesus lived by our free choice. And this involves a humble, earnest seeking to become like Jesus Christ so that his life becomes our life. I don't want my life to become his life. He would be in bad shape. I want his life to become my life. And that's why the old dies on the cross with Jesus. And I'm given this new life. And I'm given the Holy Spirit to teach me how to live this new life. Not focus on the old one. Some of us as believers have to stop focusing on the old one. We spend so much time working on what's wrong with us. Welcome to prison. You can't fix what's wrong with you. Jesus did. What are you working on? When God looks at you, and this is something God is teaching me lately, and I want you to hear it. When God looks at you, he does not see what's wrong with you. He sees what's missing. We think when we read God's word, we read it to see what's wrong with us instead of reading it to see what's missing. We think that when we mess up, we have to apologize and repent for our sin that Jesus already died for as followers of Jesus. So we said, God, forgive me for being fearful. That's not repentance. That's looking backwards at the cross instead of forward at the resurrection. Jesus took care of the cross. The resurrection is ours. So when I fear, I say, God, forgive me for not being courageous. You gave me a great opportunity today to be courageous, and I missed it. And I want to be courageous. When God looks at you, he doesn't see what's wrong with you. He sees what's missing, and he says, I want for my kids what's missing. Jesus. And everything that Jesus is, he wants for you. And lots of times what we focus on has nothing to do with Jesus. It's the negative of life instead of the positive of Christ. Good. We'll talk more about that. Remember, God's desire is for us to be conformed to the image of his son. So the Father and Jesus will seek to lead us this way through the Holy Spirit by revealing the knowledge about who he is, who we are, understanding, give us spiritual strength to change and live righteously, leaning towards resurrection, leaning towards love, leaning towards inheritance, leaning towards promise, leaning towards all the good that God has for his kids who are his. I am who you say I am. So God's not sitting there saying, you fearful little punk. He's saying, have courage. Don't be afraid. You see what I'm saying? It's jumping on this side. Spending too much time there. I keep wanting to go back. God will not force us to live this way. It's our free choice. So what do we bring to the table if God does it all? If God has done it for you, if God is, you can't earn it, it's freely given, what do we bring to the table? Are you ready? And this was supposed to be the light bulb moment for many of us, and maybe it will be the light bulb moment for us today. We are supposed to bring the want to. We're just supposed to bring the want to. I'll, I'll use Josh as an example since he used himself as an example last week. If you missed it, uh, let me remind you, Josh wants to work out a lot. But evidently, he really doesn't. <laughs> By your own admission, I'm just saying. I'm not saying that I look at you and say, but obviously you don't because you, you, you I don't know. I'm getting out of this. Let's keep going. <laughs> I 
I, I can say, we can say, I want to work out and everything in my life shows that that's not true. Those are my real desires and wants. What I'm actually putting my energy into. Hear me. Our part in this whole thing is to simply say, I want to. I want to desire you, God. And I got to tell you, I think a lot of us sitting in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, put greater value on lots of other things over God. It's called idolatry. We suffer from the greatest forms of idolatry the world has known. And in our hearts, because we see Jesus, maybe dimly, we say, man, I want that, like I want to work out. But everything else in your life is crying out something different. You actually want something else. And you know what? The best place to start is the honesty before God, because he knows anyway, and say, listen, I, I got, you understand, these things I'm going after, and they pale in comparison, and they don't measure up, but I want to want you. That's a song. I want you. Anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about this desire to want, to want God is the place we start if we don't want God that we find we want so many other things. And so we get on our knees and we say, God, give me a desire to want you. And many of us, we want God and we're living in that. And, we're, and so we say, God, I want you more. Desire to change, the 100% commitment of heart change is the only thing we bring to the table, the desire. To delight in God instead of duty. And so Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you. Listen to me, church. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you. Giving you the desire to do what pleases him. And so I get on my knees and I say, God, give me greater desire for you. Let the desire for everything else pale. And let ultimately me desire one thing. Because only one thing matters. And so we cry out to God for the help we need to change. And Jesus Christ's light's life illuminates the path, the way that God wants us to live. And he calls us to the path. But we must want to get on it. That's the work we get to do is towards righteousness. Toward rightness. And if we do, he will give us all the help we need to grow. He's like, here's the Holy Spirit. Now just lean in and start asking. Dive in the word to find out what's missing, not what you're doing wrong. And when God puts a finger on something that's not quite right, it's only because he's showing you what's right. He will use the enemy's attack and negative in your life to show you the positive, your inheritance. Towards the light, not duty. To be Jesus is to let the world see the Jesus in you. They see that best when you're letting God mold you into the image of his son. How is it possible for us? In our own strength, it is clearly not. But God has given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to fulfill his purpose to be like Jesus. They are three in one, church. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not weird, it's divine. William Temple Bishop of Canterbury, spent time as a bishop in England, died in 1944, used to illustrate the point this way. It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. 
And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. You ready for what he says next? But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, (laughs) then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Oh, Jesus just said in John chapter 14, I am sending you a helper who will enable you to do it. And so lean in and ask. Stop leaning backwards and lean forward into everything that God has for you. Let the word of God come to life, not in condemning, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so if there is no condemnation, why are you beating yourself up? Stop it. Lean into what God has, not what you feel you keep missing. God's purpose is to make us like Christ. And God's way is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And from that power flows kindness. And from that power flows the ability to be present. And from that power flows courage. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we claim to be Christian, we must be like Christ. Let me give you an everyday example of what that looks like. Donna, would you come and share with us? Hi, guys. have a little story to share with you. Um, It's God's story, (laughs) not giving up on me. But my story starts about seven years ago when we moved into our home. The day we moved in, our neighbor came out and said, I hope you have a good lawyer because I'll be suing you. The size of your roof and your house run over your gutters and floods my house. My husband said, Well, I hope you're not the welcome wagon. But it just got on and worse after that. I know moving in, we had a little girl help us with boxes, and she stepped on his rocks, and he said they were messing up the rocks. And the way God made me, God made me a people pleaser. And there was no way that I was able to please this man. Um, As it went on, you know, I accidentally blowed snow in his yard, and I was called names that no woman should be called. We were constantly be called on by the police um, for our noise or the fire department because our fire was too big or whatever the cause. I didn't have a permit to do something. And I tried through the years. I tried to be nice. My grandma always taught me, kill him with kindness. You'll get him with kindness. And even Paul in Proverbs says, you know, feed your enemies. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Then it says it's like heaping coals on their head. And I used to go, cool, that'll hurt. But biblically, when you look back at that, it isn't. It's a blessing. It would be coals on their head. If their coals went out in their fire in their house, it would keep them warm till they got there and restart their fire to live. So even scripture wasn't backing me up (laughs) and giving me any justice. And I'd have those times where I'd be so angry and I would want to reach out and say not kind words. And I'd come back in and tell my husband, you go out there and say that not kind words. And he'd just say, Jesus. 
Well, in my mind, um, he became my enemy because of my fear of him and not being able to please him. In my brain, he became my enemy. And I don't want you to judge him. I don't want you to judge him. Because each one of us, at least me, I have been someone's enemy. By the way I've acted, the words I've said, I have been that enemy. So there's no judging. Jesus says not to judge. But it was hard. And even got to a place where like, maybe we should just sell. This is hard to live here. I felt like no matter what we did, we upset him. Well, a couple weeks ago, my husband was in the hospital, and I was coming back from the hospital, and I was going to go by the little beach. We live on a little beach, and to, if they weren't down there, I would take my little grandson swimming. But I know I upset him, so why go there and upset someone? So as I drove by, I saw an ambulance, and I looked. I'm like, what's going on? Because it's a little private beach. Saw his wife weeping. Saw his daughter on the ground just crying. She had just graduated a week ago. And God told me, pull your car over and see what's going on. I'm like, no. I didn't see my neighbor, but I thought, they don't like me. I'm scared. He said, pull your car over now. God was like that. I pulled my car over. He says, get out of the car. Because I was praying in my car, whatever it is, Lord, get out of your car. Got out of my car, walked on the beach. He said, get on your knees. I got on my knees. And he said, and bring your hands up to heaven, and you pray that that man has a pulse. Being a nurse, I could see they were doing CPR and shocking him, and he had no life in him. But he said, you keep praying. So I got up, walked around, I got down again, and I started praying. I watched the paramedics bring him up on the gurney into the ambulance as they continued CPR and shocking. There was no life. I asked if his wife could go into the ambulance. They said no. She'd have to find another ride. Hadn't said more than probably three words to her in seven years. I had justified loving my neighbors by ignoring them. If I have no eye contact, then I'm loving them. They don't like me anyways, right? It was justified in my mind I was actively loving. She didn't know what she was doing. I walked both of them back up to the house and said, I'll drive you. Just get in my car. I just came from the hospital. Another neighbor had their car. They got in there. But I told the daughter, this is my number. Call me. If you need me, I will be at the hospital. I'll do anything you want me to do. An hour later, and knowing in my mind being a nurse, I knew he was gone. But an hour later, she texted me and said they got a pulse. And I wrote her back. We serve an amazing God. And he can bring back anyone. I'll continue to pray, and I'll get my church to pray. So I continued to pray and send her texts of encouragement. And um, the next day was Memorial Day, so I was out at the parade. Still, my heart was heavy for them. And I was praying and then texting her that I was still praying. And God told me, you have to go back to the hospital to see your husband anyways. Buy them some cookies. And I said, no, I don't want to buy them cookies. They don't like me. <laughs> and I'm scared. And he said, buy them cookies. So I went into the bakery, and thankfully it was closed. And someone opened the bakery door, 
and said, would you like some cookies? And I said, yes, I'd like some cookies. Bought some cookies, went to the hospital, and then I had to be brave enough to walk into the room. I walked into the room, and um, his wife stood up, and she said, I'll talk to you in the hall. And I thought, well, here I get it now. And she continued to tell me what had happened, that he had had a cardiac arrest. He didn't drown, but his heart had stopped, and some fishermen brought him in. She grabbed my hand, and she said, I saw you praying. And she said, thank you. The next day, I put it on the prayer chain her at church because I didn't think they had a church and someone needed to be praying for this family. So I put it on the prayer chain, and then his son had said, that um, they were spending long hours at the hospital and people were hungry and thirsty. So from Alpine Chapel, I put a big basket together of some food and just little snacks and drinks, and I brought it to the hospital. And even his son and his daughter both stood up and said, God bless you. Thank you. A day later, I saw a lot of cars in the driveway. And... Um, I had gotten a text from her that they had put him in a coma and they were going to wake him up in a few days to see if he had been without oxygen, um, what the damage might have been. So when I saw the cars, I thought, I, I wonder. So I went over with a meal for dinner again and she said, did you hear about my dad? My dad um, ended up having no brain function, so he took him off of life support and he died. And she said, but... He gave his organs away, Donna, and he saved three people. I said, that's so wonderful. Your dad was always so proud of you. If I heard him speak really good words, it was of his daughter. See, God didn't want to leave me there where I was justifying, just ignoring, because that was loving. That wasn't active love. That wasn't being kind. That wasn't being present, and that wasn't being brave. And I didn't want to. But God had other plans for me. Um, just the other day, I went to his funeral, and I stood in the back. And I was praying, and I was watching. And for the first time in my life, I heard his daughter sing a song to her father there that they had sung together. It was by Cheryl Crow about, I found your picture, and I just want you to come home. And I heard her sing it, and I heard the words of his wife and the words of his friends. And for the first time in seven years, I loved my enemy. And it wasn't by my own power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, because I didn't want to. And there's things in each of us that we don't want to do, but God is urging us and loves us enough to not let it go. So thank you for my story and listening. Continue to pray for this family. And just know we serve a God that won't leave us in places that aren't good. There, there is a Jesus in the church world that for many is just an add-on to their life. Just comes out when necessary. Maybe it's just once a week. But I want to tell you about a Jesus who is the Messiah. 
the son of the living God who wants to radically redirect our hearts. Do you know what a radically redirected heart is? Can I just share this with you? Something we've been asking and believing that God's gonna do in us. That Jesus wouldn't just be some add-on, but he would literally be our lives. A radically redirected heart desires to draw close to God. That's what a radically redirected heart is. And the rest of our life revolves around fulfilling that desire to draw close to God. That's what we want. Do you know who will do that? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, if we'll let him. If we'll get away from religion long enough to see the God who loves us, who was kind, who was present, who was brave, and who is Jesus. And if we'll let him in, he'll give us the strength and the ability to be kind, present, and brave and show this world him. So here's what I would ask. I'd ask you to stand this morning as we close. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm done fearing what people think. I've lived my life like that. I want to do what God wants me to do. And I know the only way I'll be able to do that is to open up my heart and life and let the Holy Spirit flood my life. Do you know what the Bible tells us? Pray every day that the Holy Spirit would fill us. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there and present. But if we never open our hearts to him and just try to continue to do on our own, we'll miss something big. We'll miss becoming like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is there to help us and enable us to become. And so I say, flood my life. Every area where the desires are not yours and show me. Fill me today in such a way that I can be more like you when I walk out of these rooms. Fill me in such a way that my desire for everything else pales in comparison to my desire for you. And he says we can pray that. And so I would invite you this morning as we sing this song, and it's a bold move, I get it. But if you're sitting there going, man, I want to be like Jesus in such a way that people see Jesus, not me. That when they define Christianity, they won't define it by my actions, but by his who he is, not who I am, because I am who he says I am. And if you want that, I'm going to pray over everybody as soon as we're done singing this song, that God will fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit. Flood our hearts, flood our lives, so that it won't be in our strength anymore, but in his. And we will have the ability to hear, buy cookies. Do something, because God is leading us. And if that's your heart and desire, I'm going to invite you to come forward and stand as we sing and make this song a prayer, not a song. Jesus' name, God.
Jesus, you said that if we asked in your name, in your will, that it would be done. And your will is that we be filled with your spirit. It's why you left the Holy Spirit. And there are those with open hearts that have come and said, God, I need your spirit living and active in my life, guiding and leading me, enabling me to do all that you've asked me to do. To be like your son. To lean into the things that you have for me that is missing in my life so that I will have those through the power of your spirit. And so I pray right now that you would fill us. Fill every heart and every life that desires more of you and your spirit active and living so that we can be your ambassadors, your mouthpiece, your example without doing you more damage than good. God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a boldness that would come with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we would worship like we've never worshiped, that we would share like we've never shared, that we would serve like we've never served and love like we've never loved. And that not would happen in our strength, but in yours, God. We don't want a form of godliness and deny its power. We don't want to get to heaven and realize we missed her. We want to take the people of earth with us and you're building a new heaven and a new earth and we want the world to know that you love them. And so God, I pray open hearts today that you would fill us, that you would guide us and lead us and the power of the Holy Spirit would give us the courage to walk away from sin into righteousness, to say no to ungodliness and yes to you, Jesus and to share our faith and stand boldly and love the unloved and speak up for the marginalized. That we would be your church that you're building that the gates of hell would not prevail against. And that God, you would raise up a remnant of people that don't want religion, but we want Jesus. We want all of Jesus and not part of Jesus. We want to look like Jesus so the world can see Jesus. And so we pray that today, God, with everything that we have in us, fill us, that we might look like you. We want you, Jesus. I dream that he that I am him almost said that wrong and I dream of a church that prays more and desires more God's purpose for our life to be like Jesus than any other purpose we could long for or want because it pales may we be the church that measures conversation more than conversion and that when it's meaningful, it's more meaningful to the person we're having it with than it is to us because we ascribe value to them and worth. And 
May we be like Jesus in a way that the world sees. And may God's spirit empower you and strengthen you to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. May we be the church that he's building. Not religious, but in love with our Savior, who is in love with this world. I believe God's doing something very special in this church. And it starts and ends with Jesus. May you be like Jesus. Next week is Father's Day. It is the least attended Sunday of the year. Let's make it one of the most. We love you. Have a great week.